and and praise God. Amen, amen, amen. So today we're going to talk a little bit about the fact that his blood leaves no unfinished business. Amen. His blood leaves no unfinished business. And what do I mean when I say unfinished business? Well, anything that bugs you. (laughs) You know, sin created a problem for us in this life, and it left some things in disarray, uh, some things that I would call uh, unfinished business. Amen. So Jesus' blood, though, leaves no unfinished business. So we're going to talk a little bit about properties of blood and what bloodshed on the earth really is about and how the blood of Jesus had to come to atone for that. Amen. It had to come to atone for all things. And whether or not you think the shed blood of Jesus is sufficient for everything you need, hopefully if you're not convinced you will be or if you were some convinced you'll be more and trust more in God and trust more in in putting faith in what he's already done for us amen he has already done uh, these things there's no reason why a child of God should live beneath their privileges all we need to do is lay hold on the fact of what we need from God and, and believe that there is nothing less left for us to do but believe it. Amen. And live right before God. He expects us to live by his spirit. You got me? And by his word. So he's given us a new life to live that's a life that is, is pleasing to him. It's a life of accomplishment. It's a life of, of no tragedy. Uh, and but it finishes all business for us there's nothing that we desire that won't be done because of what he's done okay i'll pay a nickel to get rid of that funny praise god amen so in uh, why don't we go first to genesis chapter four genesis chapter four And we'll see one of the first instances of unfinished business where blood was shed, innocent blood was shed, and what the result of that was. In Genesis 4.10, we see where in in the starting in the first part of the fourth chapter, we see where Cain and his brother Abel were out and and, uh, Cain killed his brother. And verse 10, it says, and the Lord said, verse 9, the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? And he says, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries to me from the ground. The voice of your brother's blood cries to me from the ground. I don't care what we do. It's known by God. Now, we can deny all we want to, but it's still known by God. The nice thing about Jesus is he forgives our sins. So you don't have to be uh, squeaky clean. If you were squeaky clean, you know, he wouldn't need you, probably. He needs people who are normal people. And uh, he doesn't need our righteousness. He needs us to confess who we are so we can put on his righteousness. And so here it is, Cain is Cain is trying to get out from under the burden of having shed innocent blood. 
And that blood is crying out to God for something. Whenever blood is shed, it still has a voice. You know, people think that if if they do something bad and they kill a person and, uh, you know, they get off with it for a while, but that blood is still talking in the realm of the spirit. And it still speaks to God and it tells God things that it wants to see happen. I had a life, God, and it was taken away from me. Get somebody to pay for this. So innocent blood always cries out for vengeance. Huh? That's a very important thing to understand. Innocent blood always cries out for vengeance. It cries out. You'll hear people who don't even know a murder victim, especially police people, investigators, who who they say things like, well, I have You take a life, your penalty is to give a life in return for that. Amen? That's how we got to be born again. A life was given in exchange for ours. Amen? So we didn't have to give our life for our sins. And so here we see the blood, his brother's blood cries to him from the ground. God then curses the ground so that Cain is the ground won't yield to him anymore. And we need to understand that, that when times are hard, look at what we do in this country. We shed a lot of innocent blood through abortion. And I don't care who signs a paper and says it's legal, it's wrong. Because that's an innocent life, and all those aborted babies are crying out for vengeance. I had a life, you told me, God, I could live this life. I was entitled to live X number of years, and it was cut short because, and it cries out. That's why it's so hard. You look at, I remember when I was a nurse, don't look at me like that. People say, oh, my goodness, how how many years ago was that? Did they have IVs? Yeah, they had IVs when I was. Did they have x-rays? Yeah, they had x-rays. They had all (laughs) this. But I remember people would, would, you would have to do something horrible to somebody before they would sue a doctor. I'm serious. You didn't get sued when you were, uh, would they call that uh, 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 benevolent exemption when, in, as far as the law was concerned. When you were doing an act of goodness and kindness for somebody, you were exempt for being held harmless. You were held harmless in, in a case something untoward happened to that person. Now they go after them like a flock of, of wolves. You know why? Because the mercy for that profession is gone because of abortion. That blood is crying out for vengeance and the mercy over the people who handle this stuff is gone now. You understand what I'm saying? And so we have to understand there's a penalty for every innocent life that's taken. And God is the one who holds account and keeps account of all of these things. In Genesis chapter 4, no, chapter 9, I'm sorry. It gives you God's understanding of this, what God's word says about the shedding of blood. In Genesis 9, start in verse 4. 
I can find it here. He says, but the flesh of the life thereof, which is in the blood, you shall not eat. So they were forbidden to eat blood. And surely your blood of your lives will I require at the hand of every beast will I require in the hand of every man. At the hand of every man's brother will I require the life of the man. So God's saying you don't kill anybody and just get off with it. He said, whoso ever sheds man blood by man shall his blood be shed for in the image of God man has been made. And so God holds us very in very high esteem and he goes after everybody who sheds innocent blood. And so God has put it in his law, in his mind and in his heart and his very being that every human life is precious. Every drop of blood must be accounted for and every blood. That's why we have unfinished business sometimes. You'll see people who who unfortunately somebody will murder, say, a a child or an adult child, anybody in a person's family. These people, you know, they can't let it rest until they can make sure that that person is caught. They make sure. And and that goes back to the Old Testament because there was what was called the avenger of blood that went after people who had shed innocent blood. And so there is a truth to that even now. You'll see it where people have to go to court. And, and even though some of the things said in the courtroom are just unbearable to hear, they feel like they have to be there. I have to be there for so-and-so. I have to be there for my son. I have to be there for my mother, for my daughter, for whomever it was. And so that blood crying out for vengeance, they hear it. Family members hear it because that's who the avenger of blood really was. It was a person assigned by God to make sure that that person paid the penalty that was required for shedding innocent blood. In Exodus chapter 12, we see the power of mercy, the first mercy blood that God is establishing here. Probably not the first one, but the one instituted as a law. You know, the first mercy blood was the one that he put uh, when he killed the animal and made skins for Adam and Eve to wear. So he that was a foreshadowing of something great that was going to come that would cover their sins and allow them to be able to live and allow them to be able to exist until that which was perfect came along. So we know that was a foreshadowing of Jesus' death to pay for the sins of all of humanity. So in Exodus 12, is that where we are? Exodus chapter 12. And this is a Passover. God is going to require at the hand of the Egyptian uh, community because they have uh, killed the firstborn of God's people. Remember when the Hebrews were the babies, they commanded the midwives to kill the babies when they got there and all that kind of stuff. Well, God saw that blood that was shed. And so this is the night where God's going to require vengeance for all that bloodshed. That was shed uh, innocently for those babies, Hebrew babies. That was God's inheritance that was coming into the earth. And it was taken by a, a mean Pharaoh, somebody who was threatened by the existence of his people. 
And many times people will commit crimes because they're threatened by somebody. You know, you have to be careful the kind of people you fellowship with. You know, some people will smile at you and grin in your face and then turn around and and stab you in the back, so to speak. And so you have to walk in a place of knowing who you are and walk in divine protection. There's a protection for us uh, for these things. But God will extract vengeance when he sees fit. So the Passover night is the night where the death angel is going to come and take all the firstborn of the uh, people of Egypt, including Pharaoh's household. But God tells his people, he said, you're going to leave this place tonight because you belong to me. I am getting vengeance on your behalf and your your firstborn are not going to be struck down. They're going to be spared. But you got to do something in order to make that happen. And see, this is where individual faith is so important that we take God at his word and understand our place in doing these things. And he says, you're going to take a lamb and you're going to sacrifice that animal and you're going to pour its blood out and put it over your doorpost. And when I see the blood, he don't care about what your granny knew and your mama knew. He got to see something from you. Every household was responsible for protecting itself against the death angel by striking the blood over that doorpost there were even egyptians you know uh, one day <laughs> one day you're a dog and the next day you're king there were egyptians that came out with them they said "Ooh, i believe i listen i don't know what you you know what pharaoh them been doing but i believe your god all along can i come in so there were many egyptians that just went into the houses of the Hebrews and stayed there until they believed what those people said. When they said, you know what, that death angel's going to pass over. I've been expecting this because I know we done your people bad. You understand what I'm saying? They expect vengeance to come. Everybody expects it. You know, when we do something wrong, you know, we just look around, look, oh, God, well, God, nobody saw me. But you saw me, God. You know, all that kind of stuff. And so you know within yourself what's due you. Amen. And so when they saw that the death angel was assigned to come, he passed over every household that had the blood revealed on the outside of the doorpost. That's so important. The truth about God's blood must be revealed to you. And this is what we're doing. We're having revelation on what the power of the blood of Jesus to, to satisfy all, to finish all business that, that has been unfinished in the earth. So uh, we see the death angel passing over there. There was no death to come to them. Not only did they get salvation, amen, passing over of the death angel was symbolic of eternal life. But the Bible also said he brought them out with what? Silver and gold, and there was not one sick person there. So there is your salvation package, eternal life, health, and wealth all in one shot. Things were in such turmoil the night that the nation of Israel left Egypt that the Bible says God instructed the Israelites to go to their neighbors and tell them, give me your jewelry. 
give it all to me. You know that ring I be looking at you? I like so much I want it. He said, sure, take it. Sure, sure. Can you take me with you too? You understand what I'm saying? So that was their, that was their, I call it their severance pay for all the years they were enslaved in Egypt. Oh yeah, God will pay, now listen folks, God will pay you back. He won't let, listen, we serve a God, a restitution means that you are made whole. No, nothing is missing, nothing's broken. Everything's returned to you that belongs to you. When God gets involved in your life, that's the time you can quit fretting about stuff. You can quit worrying about stuff. You can quit trying to get even with people. You can quit trying. You understand what I'm saying? You can lay all of that down finally. You don't have to be mad with anybody. You can be friends with everybody. And I mean it from the heart. You don't have to hold anything against anybody. Finally, your wholeness is coming to your life where you can have that. Ezekiel 35, if you'll turn there. Uh, that's after, uh, <laughs> no, I'm good. <laughs> Ezekiel 35. In verse 5, we'll start there. It says, because you have had a perpetual hatred and have shed the blood of children of Israel by the force of the sword in the time of their calamity and the time of their iniquity had an end. Therefore, as I live, says the Lord, he swears his life to this, folks. As I live, says the Lord, I will prepare you unto blood and blood shall pursue you. Blood shall pursue you. Since you have not hated blood, even blood shall pursue you. And, and he says, because you've not hated to shed innocent blood, the blood that you shed shall pursue you. In other words, you, you, you didn't have a conscience about it. You felt good about what you did. You didn't ask forgiveness for what you did. Because you didn't hate what you did, that blood's going to come after you. See, there are people who, who come to, to uh, uh, confess you know, jailhouse confessions, uh, There's the prisons are full of them. And many of them are legitimate. You know why? Because the blood of that person that they killed innocently has pursued them all the way and through the bars of the jail. They can't, you can't get away from that voice. See, your, your conscience will remain guilty until that business is finished. Amen. So there's unfinished business in the shedding of innocent blood. In, uh, what was that, Ezekiel 35? Let's see my next one. Let's go to the book of Hebrews. And we're going to talk about the blood of Jesus now. So we know that innocent blood is blood that still speaks. It's crying out for vengeance. It's crying out for restitution. It's crying out for, you know, how do you, how do you compensate for a life? You can take a life, but then there's other compensation. Say, for instance, that person was a breadwinner. What was their potential as far as being the breadwinner is concerned, et cetera, et cetera. So there is a place where vengeance comes in, but then that person is still missing something. 
You got me? There's unfinished business even when vengeance is accomplished in a situation like that. So let me let me turn to let me do this other one first. We'll talk about the avenger of blood since we're on that subject. In Numbers chapter 35. Let me see. There's one other one I'm going to check for before we go there. Hang on. Okay, go to Exodus 21 first. Let's hold that for a minute. 21 verse 12 says, He that kills a man so that he dies, in other words, if you hit somebody and they die, shall surely be put to death. And if a man lie in wait, but God deliver him into his hand, then I will appoint you a place where you shall flee. Now, God made a difference between premeditated and accidental murder. These are two situations here that you see. He says, if if you lay in wait for somebody, in other words, you've been hating old John and want his property and want everything he gets. You just get fed up one day and say, I'm going to kill old John, take everything he's got. So that's a premeditation. You're lying in wait for that person. And so God says, if you lie in wait for that person, the avenger of blood is sent to kill you as well. But he says, if this happens accidentally and nobody sees you, there were cities of refuge set up where a person could flee to and they could live there. Amen. So there was provision. You know, you didn't have to go around telling everybody, I didn't do it. They can't pin this one on me. No, there was a city of refuge where you could go to. And you could, could live there. And that's in Deuteronomy. I'm sorry, in Numbers 35. Numbers chapter 35. It says, verse 19, the revenger of blood himself shall slay the murderer. When he meets him, he shall slay him. But then there were cities of refuge where they could go. Uh, verse, uh, Go up to verse 10. Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, when you come over the Jordan and land of Canaan, you shall appoint you cities to be cities of refuge for you that the slayer may flee there, which kills any person unawares. And so there was protection for anybody who was innocent of shedding innocent blood. Now, you say, well, how did they know they were? If you made it there, honey, you was innocent. You understand me? If you got there, God had to be with you. You see what I'm saying? And you would stay there and they would stay there until the high priest that was in office died. So when the high priest died, you were free to go. And hopefully by that time, the revenger of blood would not come and find you. It was illegal for him to lay hands on you because you had made it there. Isn't that wonderful? God puts a protection in there. So a lot of fugitives, folks, aren't really fugitives. You understand what I'm saying? There are some people who are innocent and who will run and who will get a chance to proclaim their innocence and have it proven. You understand, not everybody who's guilty is guilty. You know what I'm saying? And so God knows the circumstances. He knows what's due every person in every situation. And so in Hebrews 9 now, if you want to turn there, we talked about the avenger of blood a little bit. In Hebrews chapter 9, 
you see the blood now that settles every issue and leaves no unfinished business and that's the blood of jesus christ the bible says that jesus is our great high priest amen and so he had to enter into the heavenly holy of holies with his own blood that was shed for us and place it on the mercy seat you know whenever uh, the people of israel had to come before god bloodhead they had to sacrifice an animal and cleanse all the the instruments of the altar with blood moses sprinkled blood on the children of israel and god came down and there was no harm to them why because that blood brings peace between us and god that's the first thing it does it settles every argument every issue all your sins forgiven everything you've done wrong is remembered no more because that blood leaves no unfinished business there is no unfinished business. There's no blood crying out for vengeance. There's nothing, uh, no avenger of blood looking for you. Any. There's your conscience isn't killing you anymore because that blood settles every single issue. So in Hebrews chapter 9, <clears throat> let me see where I want to start. Let's start in, in verse um, uh, 1. The, and verily the first covenant had also ordinances of divine service in a worldly sanctuary. For there was a tabernacle made, the first, wherein was a candlestick and a table, showbread, which was called the sanctuary. After that, the second veil, the tabernacle, which was called the holiest of all, which had a golden censer, the Ark of the Covenant, overlaid about with gold, wherein was the gold pot that had manna and Aaron's rod that budded and so forth and so on. And over it, cherubims of glory, showing the mercy seat of which we cannot now speak particularly. Now, when these things were thus ordained, the priests went always into the first tabernacle, accomplishing the service of the Lord. In other words, they went in the first one to clean themselves up. But into the second with the high priest alone, once every year, not without blood, which he offered first for himself and then for the errors of the people. So this was the old covenant system. Your high priest had to go in there and offer blood first for himself and then for the sins of the people. Jesus Christ, being a great high priest, bypassed that. He didn't have to offer blood for himself. Why? Because he was sinless. So he has a high, he has a priesthood, amen, that is above the one from the Old Testament. But the one from the Old Testament was effective to keep them from year to year serving God. But now the great high priest has come being made better, having a better covenant, having a better priesthood. He has an ongoing unlimited priesthood and he ever lives to make intercession for you and me. That's what he does all day long. He intercedes and intervenes for you and for me. And he says now... <clears throat> Verse 7, but unto the second with the high priest alone every year, not without blood. You must have blood to enter in there. They had a, 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 a robe that had bells and pomegranates on, you know, uh, sewed onto the ends of it. And the high priest made noise when he went into the tabernacle. And, but he also had a rope around his waist because when the noise stopped, you know, he missed a step. And he dropped dead, and they had to drag him out of there. 
But Jesus never missed a step. You understand? We have a perfect high priest, not not subject to human error and not subject to have to offer up for his own sins. He was perfect in every way. In verse 8, the Holy Ghost, this signifying that the way to the holiest of all was not yet made manifest while the first tabernacle was standing. So that's why the temple, when Jesus uh, died, the temple was, the veil was torn from the top to the bottom, signifying that that old system was done away with. This second system didn't go into effect until that one was done away with. He said, which was a figure for time then present, which in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not make him that did the service perfect as pertaining to conscience, which stood only in meats and drinks and diverse washings, carnal ordinances imposed on them until the time of reformation would come. So that blood kept them. The Bible says that the law was their schoolmaster. It just kept them in school. It wasn't the end result of everything, but it kept them. You got me? I'd rather been be kept than lost. But then when the better covenant came along, those things were done away with. And so that law and the ordinances, the Bible says, that were against us. You know, the stuff you look at and you know you're wrong and you can't help yourself to do right. I want to talk to saints now. Where are my grown folks at in here? Huh? Paul said, the thing I know, I say, I know I need to do this right, and I want to do it, and I don't do that. What I say, I ain't going to do no more. I do that Amen. and keep doing it. That's what that's who I'm talking to. Amen. And so the blood then of Jesus, you see, the blood of bulls and goats kept you okay maybe for a year. They had a scapegoat. They had two goats. One was a scapegoat and one was a goat that they killed. A scapegoat, they would put their hands on his head and confess all the sins of the people and and let him run away to the wilderness. But then if you went far enough out into the wilderness, guess what you did? I wonder if that old goat is out here. See, that blood was not able to do one thing that separates us from the Jew. It's purge your conscience couldn't clean your conscience see you still lived in dead works and see if you got a bad conscience now you're not living in the fullness of what the blood of jesus has provided for you because if you confess your sins the bible says he's faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you a bad conscience is unrighteousness folks and if that hasn't happened to you you stay with god until it happens You don't just go off, you know, halfway in this life. There's a place in God where you can receive that and know. And so the Bible says the blood of Jesus Christ, because it it came in in a perfect way. It ended the old, the old tabernacle was torn down. So now we have a new and a perfect way. And that's he lives in you and what you do is between you and him. You got me? You can tell him anything because you don't have to confess it publicly. It's between you and him. You see, and so you have to, and that is not a license to sin either, live raggedy. You understand what I'm saying? You know, because many times we think, well, you can't tell me, but listen, the Bible says when the righteous slap me, it's a kindness. 
And if God wants to save you through another righteous person pointing out your sin, then so be it. You understand me? So this is not no happy, happy because we can we don't have to tell nobody nothing. The Bible tells you to confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you can be healed. There's still a place for one another. But in the closet of your life, the place where you you know you have dealings with God, that personal sanctuary that you dwell in, that's where you need to to come clean with God. And the blood of Jesus Christ purges your conscience from dead works so that you can serve the living God. I had a friend I had a friend once and he was hard on himself. Oh, I've been arguing with my wife and I keep thinking, how can I go out and minister to people and, and I'm doing wrong? And I told him, I said, you need to confess it. Oh, I confess it. I said, do you believe he's cleansed you? I said, if you believe he's cleansed you, then receive your forgiveness and stay in the place with God until it's real to you. See, we get up and do a halfway confession or we ignore God arguing every day and ignoring him, you know, and think we're okay. Nobody saw it, you know. It ain't about that. It's about you and him. What's between you and him? And so the blood of Jesus was shed to give you what they call peace between you and God. So that you don't, you know deep within that you're not hiding anything from him. There's nothing in your closet that you're ashamed of. You don't have any skeletons up in there. You're free to express who you are in Christ. Huh? You're not looking for man's approval or disapproval for anything. You're a servant of humanity. See, if you got your role right, you'll be fine. But many times we are we are too uh, too busy trying to get man's approval. I'm spitting a lot, and I sorry. <laughs> I'm in the middle of <laughs> spitting on the carpet, not on people. <laughs> but you know what? We're too conscious of what everybody else thinks, not enough of God, and so then a lot of your effort will be toward impressing people. Then you got to damage somebody and try to lord it all over somebody to impress somebody, and you back in the penalty box again. If you see yourself as God sees you, He sees you as a servant to all humanity. You're not here to prove yourself to anybody. You're not here to to blow up and be important and be a big shot. You understand what I'm saying? The the greatest one is the servant of all. He's already told us that. And so if we'll stay in our lane and stay in our role, we'll be fine. It's when we jump out of pocket that we get in trouble. Huh? <laughs> Hear one too many prosperity sermons. Huh? And you're pursuing money all the time instead of pursuing God and believing God to bring you money. Follow me. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. Instead of money cometh, let money follow me. You're doing the right thing. You don't have to worry about what's following you. Amen. The Bible says it. Amen? Amen. And so these blessings will come upon you and pursue you. You don't have to pursue them. And so the blood of Jesus. Amen. I love the Lord. <clears throat> he says in verse 11, but Christ 
being a come a high priest of good things to come huh not your conscience feeling bad all the time but he's a high priest of good things to come when you talk to god about anything you can expect good things to come there's nothing bad coming to you i just talked to the lord there's nothing i'm not expecting anything but good things to come and he says here and by greater and more perfect tabernacle not made by hand so it can't be torn down there's nothing wrong with it and there's nothing going to replace it he said neither by the blood of bulls of goats and calves but by his own blood he entered in once <laughs> not having to do it over and see the the old priesthood doing it once a year over and over again unfinished business there was unfinished business there Jesus came in, offered his blood once. He said, when I do a thing, I do it right. I don't have to fix nothing. I don't mess nothing up. I don't make any mistakes. When I do it one time, it lasts forever. That blood that was shed for you one time and brought into the holy of holies on your behalf and my behalf will do it right every single time. I don't care what kind of trouble you get yourself into. care what kind of mess you get yourself into. One time, he did it right. Does the blood prevent you from being stupid? Absolutely. I do a whole lot less more stupid stuff now than I did before because I have grace. It empowers me to do the right thing, you see, and I don't have to worry about what I did wrong and who I messed with and all this kind of stuff happening. It it enables me. To obey God with a clear conscience. I can serve God with joy. I'm not begrudging anything I have to do for him. I'm not upset with anybody, you know, <clears throat> that, that won't, uh, doesn't appreciate me or, you know, doesn't love me or doesn't do, you know, there's nothing missing here. You understand what I'm saying? Because of what the blood has done. See, when you live in that awareness all the time that there's nothing standing between you and God, and he's given you everything that pertains to life and godliness. What more do you want? If you got what pertains to godliness, that takes care of your life. Our problem is sin, man. If we can get godliness and keep that a rolling every day, huh? we could live. <laughs> Absolutely. If you can roll with that every day, man, you can live. Live above every circumstance. And not feel bad when you do something, you know, and, and, and God checks you on it. You say, oh, Father, I'm sorry. I, I sure didn't mean to do that. And he cleanses you from all unright. You stand up and you get up and you go preach. You go do anything. I felt bad for my friend, but, I, you know, you give him the word and there's nothing else you can do. If he's... If he's determined to feel bad about his sin, what did the blood of Jesus accomplish for him? Come on now. Or either that or quit arguing with your wife. I don't know what she's doing up in there, but the girl might need a good talking to. I don't know. I don't know. We ain't talking about nothing domestically violent here, you know. We ain't talking about nothing domestically violent here. We're just talking about... (laughs) All the married people say, <laughs> we, know what, we know what he's going through. Huh? <laughs> so the city of refuge was a place where the innocent, the ones who might be accused, 
You know, you got blood on your hands. You did it, but you didn't mean to do it. And that's how I believe God sees us. Because we didn't, we didn't ask to be born in sin and shaped in iniquity. Huh? We didn't ask to be. But the city of refuge provides. Why did it say in the Bible all the time, God is a refuge and a fortress? A very, they knew what that place was about. They knew that somebody who was guilty but innocent could wind up there. And they knew God. And God, if I ever get there, I feel like that sometimes. I feel like I do things I shouldn't do. And I need a place. I need a refuge where I can come. Well, I got news for you. The refuge and the avenger were the same person. <laughs> That'll blow your mind. <laughs> Praise God. I'll, I'll tell you about the, the uh, avenger of blood. Now, the person who was assigned to do that was always a near kinsman of the individual that was murdered, that, that their blood was shed innocently. So the near kinsman was a chosen redeemer. Now, what was that? The, the, the word kinsman, near kinsman, and redeemer are the same word. So that person came to pay back or redeem that life, to get that life back. Now, the near kinsman was appointed by God. You don't volunteer to do this. So the person who was assigned to do that was assigned by God, and they had to feel prompted by God to carry this out. So the near kinsman redeemer was somebody who was going to come to finish business on your behalf. All your unfinished business in your life. You know, the the fact that your parents didn't want you when you were born and maybe gave you away. Uh, You were adopted or something. I was watching that uh, Project Runway pastor shirley and i were watching it there's a girl from detroit on there and you know you look at her and you say to yourself god what are you saying about the city of detroit because we pray for detroit and this girl started out when when she finally got down to the final four she said i scraped and clawed my way here you know because they had counted her out several times and she was brought back uh the man that brought her back could only use that power one time throughout the whole season. And he said, I couldn't sleep last night. I had to do something for you. See? She said, and then when, when in the final four, when he came to her home to visit her and met all her family, he, she said this. She said, well, I was given away when I was a baby. My mother gave me away. She said, but I had a lot of love. My grandmother raised me. And so the grandparents put within her, this desire and this ability to go forth but you could see like unfinished business if you could say that keeps creeping in there causing her to stumble along the way see she didn't have the confidence of the other designers she couldn't go in there and just be herself and use her gift and she was always stumbling over unfinished business in her life see the way we're brought up sometimes brings about unfinished business jesus finishes all that business you got me there's no unfinished business when you belong to god when you're a child of god he finishes up all of that he avenges everything that was done wrong to you in your life ever he pays you back for it he gives you more for it if you'll focus in on this life 
and forget about the old life. Consider yourself dead to that. You can't get even with them people if you wanted to. It wouldn't even feel right to you. Oh, I wish I could find Miss Fenton, my mean teacher in the third grade. I didn't have her. Pastor Shirley had her, but she was, she had everything but the pointy cap, folks. I know she came to school on a broom every, it's a joke, whatever. But you know what I'm saying. But see, if we took her to find Miss Fenton now, probably at 90 years old in the nursing home, Pastor Shirley would want to wash her feet. You understand what I'm saying? Because all that's been taken care of. You got me? All of that. There is no unfinished business. And if, you, if you're haunted by things that you feel are unfinished, you plead the blood in that situation. You go to God and you say, God, you know what my plea is? My plea is the blood of Jesus because I need the atonement in this situation bad. So the near kinsman redeemer, <clears throat> the Hebrew word for that is goyal. G-O-E-L, goyal. And it, it is a, a, a it, it's not random and it's not voluntary. You know, people always talk about Ruth and Boaz. That's the first thing when we say kinsman redeemer. You know, that story comes to your mind. Well, Boaz wasn't random. I wasn't going to go there today. I was going to just talk about. I see all these little notes, you know, Christian our Christianese. Oh, the Lord told me I prophesied to 15 women. Your Boaz is here. Well, I don't want no random brother coming rushing up in here. I want my assigned. Random somebody might treat you like you random. So the kinsman redeemer was not random or voluntary. The redeemer is appointed by God because of relationship to the Lord. You don't want nobody in your life, especially not on a till death do you part basis that ain't appointed to you by God. All these people find a random somebody and then try to get God to co-sign it. So this person, the Redeemer, is appointed by God because of relationship to the Lord and to the one desiring redemption. So we are born again into God's family. We have relationship with God the Father. The Son, Jesus Christ, is our elder brother. So he is a perfect Redeemer for us. The Bible says that he was taken from among men. Why? So that he knew how you felt living in an earth suit. He knew how you felt when people persecuted. And you knew how you felt when you had to go out and serve God and everybody hated you for doing it. He knows how all of that goes. He knows what it feels like to be waiting for something that never comes. You know, how many people wanted to hook Jesus up with a nice Hebrew girl? Oh, yeah, you know, Jesus, he ain't married yet, girl. Let me hook you up. No, he had to wait until his chosen bride. He ain't single, y'all. He is totally married to us. 
When you're married to this many saints, ain'ts, and what have you, you teetotally married. You know, his hands is full. His dance card is full. And he was not, not waiting for somebody. He was waiting for the perfect bride that his father would send him at the appointed time. So he would have a perfect, he paid a perfect ransom for us. And I ain't going to say nothing about these brothers that go get a, a ring their mother bought and don't have no job and want to jump the broom. They ain't even grown. <laughs> so the we this relationship to the kinsman redeemer it can't be somebody random going out killing for you prison is full of people like that you understand these people this is somebody appointed by god to exact vengeance in order to make you something that you haven't been in your life and that's whole the kinsman redeemer comes to make us all whole every single one of us Nothing you once Jesus comes into your life and you let him rest and stay there. You know what I'm saying? You ain't jumping up, running someplace else, checking out something else. But you let him rest and and set up housekeeping, so to speak, with you. Then he makes you whole. He goes about the, the task of seeking vengeance that is taking back what's stolen from you. Not just killing people, that's, that's part of it, you know, if a life has been taken. But what about the other stuff that gets taken from us? You may be living, but sometimes you wish you was dead because of the condition you're in. What do we do about that? Well, the avenger of blood goes after that stuff, too. He goes after all your stuff. You got bullied when you, you know, <coughs> I hate to see the world trying to solve problems. That only God was designed to solve for us. You know, no bullying makes you want to go and hit somebody yourself. And you don't even that kind of person. People make a slogan and a crusade out of anything. He's appointed by God. He's a near kinsman. He's somebody who's invested in you. Who understands you who has something at stake uh, with your happiness he cares that you are happy he cares that you're content he cares that you have a good life he cares because he's somebody who's kin to you and knows something about you satan was never assigned to us folks he stole us you understand me? He stole us from God. Using deception and trickery, he stole us. But he gets involved in our business anyway. Huh? Like he belongs there. He's not appointed to your life. You can er- eradicate him from your life anytime the blood of Jesus is prophesied, anytime it's declared, anytime it's decreed and believed in the power of that to redeem you from his power. So the the kinsman redeemer, his right and duty was to slay the murderer, the one who shed innocent blood. God sees us all as undeserving of the penalty of our sin. 
That is why he sent his son to redeem us from the curse of the law and the full penalty of sin because he saw us totally as undeserving of that. So you got to wrap your brain around that, folks, because most of the time we go through life feeling, you know, if we have a happy day, we look around to see if, you know, what, how'd this get here? You know, sometimes <laughs> who let this in? Because we are so, it's so easy for us to assume responsibility, to assume, to assume guilt, to assume burdens because of things that we do. But if you weren't worth redeeming, God never would have done it. I'm going to say it again. If you weren't worth his son dying for, he never would have done it. See, he, he brings value, awareness of value to us. You were valuable before it happened. But he brought awareness of our value to us through the blood of his son. So that blood brought peace between us and God. Even in the old covenant, they would sprinkle blood and it would bring peace. That priest could walk around in the holiest of holies in the full presence of the glory of God and come out intact and feeling better for it. (laughs) Moses' face would shine after he'd been with God. Couldn't be around people. Because you take on the countenance of God and the glory of God. The six cities of refuge were places where the man slayer could go. And God has provided a refuge for us. The Redeemer was not allowed into the city of refuge to seek vengeance on the perpetrator. Jesus comes to bring peace. We may be expecting bad news, but he brings peace. Because he's not allowed to exact vengeance on us once we have accepted and confessed him as our Savior. I don't care what you think you're guilty of or what's owed you. You can plead to a higher court, the court of, of mercy in the heavenlies, and you can receive mercy from God. I don't care what you do, but you got to get yourself to the place where you fully accept that. See, the thing with some believers are they come in raggedy, live raggedy, and and try to ask God for big things and don't get them. Why? Because you ain't even a place where you expect nothing good from God. Come on now. It's up to you to get to that place. You know, he's done everything he's going to do for you. It's up to you to get to the place where you expect nothing but good from God. That's all you're supposed to expect from him. He is your father. Your sin has been forgiven. You receive the atonement and you can expect nothing but good from him. Where we run into trouble, we trying to plead our case and hide from everything. Well, I've never done it. Oh, you're lying, you're lying, you're lying, you're lying, you're lying. Talk about what you've never done. Why are you going back that far? Huh? God only goes back as far as when you got saved. Why are you going back that far? And he don't go back that far if you plead the blood in these situations. So Jesus is not allowed to seek vengeance on us. He's our kinsman redeemer. God has appointed him in that role for all of humanity. And he is not allowed to seek vengeance on it as long as he sees the blood. As long as we plead his blood, he will not extract vengeance. So Jesus is a refuge for us, but an avenger of us, of the devil and his crimes. 
So the one who's really got trouble is the devil. Amen. And see, when you're in trouble and you done done something wrong, you totally forget who's responsible and who's involved. And the one's trying to make it worse than what it is. It's always Satan trying to make it worse. Ooh, girl, look at what you, I don't see how, you call yourself a Christian and you do something like that, I don't see how you sleep at night. You listen to that long enough and you won't be sleeping at night. Huh? He avenges us of all the devil's crimes and of his power. So he avenges the real culprit, not us. So vengeance is still there, but it's on the table for the devil. It's not on the table for us. The blood of Jesus finishes all business related to sin and judgment, even vengeance. His, his blood is payment for all sin. Payment means we do not have to accept any form of the curse of the broken law, even sickness. So he paid for it. We don't have to accept any form of the curse of the broken law, even sickness. And I say even sickness because the world is full of perpetrating sickness on people. You've got to be scared of it now. You know, you got to have awareness. I ain't aware of nothing but the blood of Jesus. You understand me? I want to be aware. I want to be aware of the devil's works and the fruit of his works. I don't live in the fruit of his works. I live in the fruit of the Spirit of God and the life of Christ. You know, people say things like, well, <clears throat> you know, you have to be careful. Uh, what you put in your temple. <laughs> that broke down. <laughs> Most of us barely rolling out of bed anymore, one piece. They mean to tell me I got to be so careful about i tell you what I will do. The Bible says that you bless it, sanctify it with the word of prayer. That's what I'm concerned about is my food sanctified. I ain't scared about was it was it organically grown. I don't, and you don't either. I didn't see it come out of the ground. It's sitting up there in the market just with everything else in marks. All I want to do is buy it before it hit the markdown shelf. Scared of the devil. (laughs) You know, you got to put certain vitamins. I get them all the time. Huh? Holy Bible full of life was good for me i take the word i don't care how many pills you put in you at some point they're gonna fail you're gonna need the word i just bypass that whole step huh y'all can have y'all vitamins i don't care i ain't coming to your house and do a, a medicine cabinet check people got cool now don't keep a medicine cabinet they got i know where they have them they have them on the counter in the kitchen A kitchen counter check. huh? You can tell whether you need it or not, because if you need it, God will remind you to take it. Every vitamin I ever bought since I've been saved is sitting up there molding and getting. I forget to take them things. Amen. I got a weak amen on that. Everybody else, what's she talking about? She better not be talking against my vitamins. I, I got to have my ginkgo, and that's good for your brain. <laughs> 
I've been dependent on God for my brain for many years now. So I... <laughs> so where do you turn when there's unfinished business? A woman with the issue of blood had the answer. She had blood pouring out of her, and it took blood to take care of that. She had a transfusion. Matthew 9, we'll go there real quick. I did Hebrews, right? Okay, I can do Matthew 9 now. Matthew 9 and verse 20. Jesus is there with a bunch of people, and this man is there to get him to come to his house and heal his daughter. But in the meantime, this woman comes up and touches him. And he says, she was diseased with an issue of blood, verse 20, for 12 years, came behind him and touched the hem of his garment. For she said within herself, if I can touch his garment, I'll be. That's what God came to do for us. Let me tell you what being whole is. This goes beyond healing. This goes beyond your miracle. This is your life beyond the touch. Says so she was made whole. That word whole, the Hebrew is shalom, we know that. The Greek is sozo, so they have similar meanings. But that word means to have peace. Typically, Hebrews would salute one another, coming and going with the word shalom. Bless coming in, bless going out. Hello, goodbye. Peace both ways, amen. So that peace took you, if they said hello to you, and you... you uh interacted with them that shalom covered your interaction with them if you left them you left them whole intact in peace because you said shalom when you left hopefully you didn't pull no gun and rob nobody up there you understand what i'm saying so this was a friendly interaction where they blessed you with peace they meant peace for you that when i come to visit you our conversation i'm not coming to tell you off because you did something you understand what I'm saying? I'm not sneaking up on you to blast you because I don't like what you said the last time. I We come in peace. Yeah, You understand what I'm saying? So you don't fear somebody coming up to you. You don't fear their arrival. And so in that culture, when they would say shalom, when they came and when they left you, they meant I found you in a certain condition. I'm leaving you. In a condition. You understand what I'm saying? I wish the best for you. It also means completeness, soundness, intact, in good health. That word shalom also means surrendered. So you don't get this on your own power. In other words, there's a surrender to a power that's able to give you this condition. And that's what you must do. So it means the activity that it takes to get it and the condition and state of being once you've done that activity. It also means to be submitted. In other words, there is somebody greater than you keeping you in this blessed condition. It also means to have harmony and prosperity, happiness. In your material possessions as well as your state of mind. To be whole means to have nothing, no unfinished business. 
Only the blood of Jesus can do that for you. People can talk about you, treat you bad, and you go home and have a Holy Ghost party and could care less. And if I say, Father, I thank you that they found me vile because of you. You understand me? I thank you that people turn their backs on me today because I serve you. You got me? So you can live in a state of blessedness, wholeness. That's what wholeness is. Even though something may be physically missing from your life, you have a whole life and the devil has not stole anything from you. Because the one who is complete dwells in you and his life surges through you and makes you complete in every way. If you just pay some attention to him. It also means to be fully paid and to pay for. So you don't owe nobody nothing. And nobody owes you anything. See, this business about, uh, you know, remember the old prosperity stuff they used to teach? They don't teach it no more because they shamed of themselves, most of them. But, oh, you know, God, we, I see debt cancellation. Listen, if, if you didn't run master charge up, you pay them people. You ask God for money and pay them people. Don't be looking for no debt cancellation. You've got all these stuff in your closet, got ten pair of shoes, all the same color. Black. <laughs> men, men, they buy more black shoes. I'm thinking, hey, brother, can't you get a little more? Well, no. <laughs> no more creative than that. Some of them Pentecostal brothers that get pink shoes on you and then. They pull out the pinks and the beiges in a minute. But you know what I'm saying. You pay for. Why? God knows you're not going to feel good owing somebody something. If you're a child of his, you don't feel good owing somebody something. So it means to pay and be fully paid and to paid for. Restitution and penalty removed. That means that you've received everything that God has promised you, nothing missing and nothing broken. What, you, what we have in Jesus is a faith based on the truth, man. His peace brings us into that place of blessedness, wholeness, and contentment. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. It says that in, in Isaiah 9, chapter 6, and then in Luke, when it prophesied, talked about the, the soon coming first time of the Lord Jesus Christ. But the prince of peace means that he's the ruler over all peace. In other words, he, he has a higher level of peace than earthly peace is. Amen. So what that means is that because he rules in peace, any principality, any power, any demon, any entity that is harassing you comes over his rulership and under his vengeance and under his, you stop it because they don't belong to you. Huh? See, he rules over the highest levels to bring peace everywhere. That's why the, when they talked about it, he said, peace on earth, goodwill toward men. In other words, he could, he could proclaim peace uh, on the entire earth. But see, you go to United Nations and tell them they need Jesus, they'll laugh at you. Huh? 
but they know that they won't get anywhere without there's got to be somebody up there that can help us they know that their own little little uh treaties and in agreements won't go anywhere because they don't have any ability to enforce them see they're finding that out now with a, lo- a lot of these muslim wars it's no nothing but the same holy war that you see in the book of revelation same one that the jew fought against every uh, nation that was surrounding every pagan nation surrounding him and it still goes on but people are reluctant to go to the lord because they don't know how to be assured of his peace but we do we know that the blood of jesus is key to releasing the peace of god in every situation every situation in the court of heaven the accusation that sickness is for you must be answered see when you get symptoms in your body that's a legal assault against you it's not just you against the disease. You hear some people say stuff like, well, I'm going to beat this. With what? If you could beat it, you wouldn't have it. You mean all of a sudden now you've come up with some great power? Now that it showed up on your door, now you're going to fight if you had power to beat it it never would have come to you so what do you do when you can't get get restitution and you can't get rest and you can't get relief you take them to court huh and don't be afraid to take the devil to court you take him to the court of heaven oh but barb you don't know man i I got cancer in my lungs from smoking. You still go to court. Don't be scared of court because you're guilty. Huh? That's why they have subpoenas. Because most people are scared of court anyway. Isn't that the truth? Most of us wouldn't show up if we wouldn't have paper saying they come and arrest us if we don't come. You don't just spend your days running into the courtroom seeing what's going on. Huh? You want to stay as far away from them people as you can. Just like me. I don't want to go showing up there with no business there. Huh? So there's unfinished business. You got symptoms in your body. And you're scared because of what the doctors have told you. Devils put you in the condemnation. It's because of the way you live. See, when you was watching that fitness show, I told you to get that $10 membership. I got it, Mr. Dell. Yeah, but you stayed at home every day. Go out there. You you wouldn't be creaking and carrying on. Now you've got arthritis setting up in there. Blood pressure high and all that kind of stuff. See, most of us will listen to the devil's condemnation and assume responsibility for illness. If you could fight illness, I say it again, it never would come to your doorstep. It would be scared of you. But the fact that it landed in your body means that it means that it wants to come there and stay. And it wants to convince you 
that it's got legal right to be there because of what you did. You didn't do this right. You didn't take all them vitamins. They told. See, I told you you were supposed to take this and take that and go walking, and and this wouldn't have happened to you. Huh? Well, I walk. I walk to the to the bathroom and to the refrigerator. <laughs> that, don't, that don't count. It's exercise. Get my knees in shape. Sickness is an accusation, folks. But let me tell you something. When you're a child of God, it's not an accusation against you. It's an accusation against the blood of Jesus. And you've got to learn that. This is not something you have to answer for. But this is something that the Redeemer, the Slayer, the, the, the Avenger of blood, this is something that he has to answer for. He's your near kinsman. He came and rescued you from a life of sin. So once that blood is applied to your life, anything that that blood has paid to redeem you for, from and save you from is accusing the blood of not doing the job that it's doing in your life. So that accusation is not against you. It's against the blood of Jesus. That's why you need him as your advocate in court, because he will answer for himself. You got me? You don't answer for none of this stuff. He answers for himself. I don't care how many things you do right. If you don't recognize that the atonement supersedes everything that you can do and outdoes anything that you can do to help yourself. You're walking on shaky ground. It's just a matter of time before the devil comes up with something new. Look at Ebola. They can't keep it out of this country and ain't trying to. Symptoms in your body. The Bible says you're redeemed from the curse of sickness. And the devil puts symptoms on you anyway. He's not... in. It's not your job to redeem yourself. It's not an accusation against you that you have to answer because of your personal whatever you do or don't do. It's an accusation against the blood and what Jesus has paid for you to have. See, the devil's accusing. You know what you do when when you get symptoms? Step aside and say, now, devil, look at you. You're accusing the blood of Jesus of not being strong enough to keep sickness off my body. And you're going to answer to Jesus for that. Just wait. I'm taking you to court. Huh? You just wait. I'm taking, you're going to talk to him about that. Huh? You're going to talk to him about that. Symptoms. Huh? Well, <clears throat> well, what about your symptoms, Barb? I mean, you know, <clears throat> you got symptoms in your body. That's evidence. Huh? That's evidence of illness. No, it's not. Oh, no, it's not. Huh? I can tell you what I do have evidence of. Huh? There's evidence of your healing, folks. I don't care. Listen, I don't care what symptoms you have in your body. See, people go by what they see. They think what they see is evidence. huh? 
but you plead the blood of Jesus. And that that case is taken, the case of your high blood pressure, the case of diabetes against you, the case of whatever cancer against you. Once you plead the blood over this father, I'm not trying to fight this on my own, but Jesus died for this. I plead the blood and it's taken into the court of heaven. And Jesus, your high priest, ministers over those words you just spoke. I plead the blood. And Jesus said, uh-oh, it's in my hands now. See, that took it out of your hands, trying to eat right, sleep right, do everything right that you don't do right and you don't want to do right. Who wants to eat? Who wants to eat meat with no salt on it? God gave us salt. He said, everything you offer up to me, season it with salt. Oh, really? Cool. <laughs> You know, the devil, he feels like if he can take enough away from you, you'll feel good enough to want to get healed. I got news for you, devil. You didn't accuse me of nothing. You accused the blood. You're telling Jesus his blood is not strong enough, not pure enough, not not effective enough to take sickness away from me. Lying devil. But see, people put too much faith in in symptoms of illness. Huh? Like that's evidence. You know, the devil say, well, look, <clears throat> your blood pressure is one. I say, oh, devil. Ooh, I didn't know it was that high. Ooh, I bleed the blood. <laughs> Get it back down again. You know what I'm saying? Or let's live with it like that. See, we got too much confidence in what's seen and the natural. But I'm telling you, your lawyer, Jesus, sits at the at the mercy seat of God and he begins to minister over your confession. Lord, I plead the blood. I thank you your blood is sufficient to take away all sickness. I am redeemed from the curse of sickness. And I thank you for taking the sickness off of my body. And you know what Jesus said? He said, well, why don't you look at your own evidence? He said, you got evidence of healing. evidence of healing are we sure (laughs) huh you know what jesus does when the devil shows up you plead the blood and the devil's trying to get you to accept evidence of sickness symptoms jesus goes like this and like that Look at this. Huh? He said, I bore your sins. I carried your sorrows by your stripes. I was wounded for your. That's your evidence. His wounds are your evidence that you're healed. His wounds and his stripes are your evidence that you're healed. Don't ever take devil's word for yours. I don't care if it shoots up to two. How high can that bad boy go? Huh? We've got the higher evidence. You've got eternal evidence. This evidence has been around a long time waiting for somebody to get in court and use it. Huh? Surely he has borne our sins and carried our sorrows. He was wounded. All your lawyer needs to do is roll up his sleeves and put his hands across the, 
the mercy seat. That's your evidence that you're healed, folks. Don't ever take symptoms as the final word. There is eternal evidence that you are healed. That business about sickness is finished by the power of the blood of Jesus. Don't ever let the, don't ever take that as the, you know, I hear people say, well, God got the last word. Well, what is it? You need to get that last word. If you believe he's got the last you get that and you use it against the devil. Devil, look at his scars. That's why people hate when, it, when the blood is talked about, when it's demonstrated, when they make movies about the sufferings of Christ. The devil hates it. But more people watch that movie than you could, can imagine and still watching it. Why? Because we want evidence that we don't have to take the devil's nonsense. This evidence of your healing was from the foundation of the earth. Saints in heavens, it witnessed him being crucified. And the blood of Jesus speaks better things. It speaks this business about health is finished. There is no doubting whether or not you're healed. There is no doubting whether he wants you well. Just take it. Believe God's done it and take it. But I'm telling you, every time you think you want to look at what your pulse rate is, or they've got all kind of stuff, they want to scan you and <laughs> perpetrate on you. Huh? <laughs> Scanning everything now. They're finding more stuff now than they ever found. I remember my parents, when we were kids, you never went to the doctor. Mama poured something out of a bottle on everything that happened to you. Oh, here's it. Might have <laughs> put the, uh, the uh, guy to big fat Greek weddings. They put Windex on everything. Huh? It's our same bottle poured on everything. And we, we got. to the devil and that death angel has to pass over you just like he had to do the children of Israel when they see his stripes when they see his wounds they must pass over you've got to have confidence in that Christian as a believer you must have confidence in what the blood does I don't care how many tests they run I don't care how much stuff they find the avenger of blood will track it down and eradicate every single symptom. Huh? If you want your symptoms gone, he'll take them. If you want to believe that you're redeemed from sickness and you don't have disease, you can believe that. You understand what I'm saying? There was a woman doing the, the Pentecostal, one of Pentecostal revivals. She went up for prayer. She had been born. Everybody in her city knew her because they knew her because she had a huge growth underneath her chin. And she had always wanted to be healed of it. She went in the healing line. They prayed for her. And she, uh, she came back, and she was so excited. She was telling everybody, oh, the Lord prayed for me, and he prayed for that, and, and, and God healed me of it. And so pretty soon she went around like that for a couple months or so. And pretty soon people started to whisper about her behind her back. 
because the growth was still there. She was telling people she was healed, but the growth was still there. And she got up one morning and looked in the mirror and told the Lord, she said, Lord, you know what? I know you've healed me. She said, I know you have. She said, but for the sake of these people who don't believe, just take it off. And it disappeared immediately. Huh? The woman with the issue of blood knew immediately that she was healed and her blood stopped. That symptom was bucking her and he took it away. Some symptoms don't bug people and they can live with them. You understand what I'm saying? Your flavor. Huh? We don't judge nobody around. It's up to you how you want to do this thing. But you plead the blood of Jesus. I was at a, a meeting a couple of weeks ago. A woman uh, just out of nowhere called and asked. And I, I always know if it's God because I don't feel like doing it, don't want to do it. It interrupts my schedule, but I do it anyway. You got me? And so you can, you can, it can interrupt your schedule and you know it's not God. But when you want to do it anyway, you, you know it's God. And so we had a healing service there. And that the, the Lord had told us at the beginning of this year was the year of the believer. And so at the end of the service, God had done some miraculous things. There were just all kinds of wonderful things done there. We asked for people to bring up things they wanted to have prayed over, and a lady brought her crutch. And when she laid it down, her limp stopped. God was healing her. She wanted a crutch prayed over. You understand what I'm saying? But God knows what he wants to do for you in, in, your, in his heart. You understand? And so, you know, God was working with her, and we worked with her for a while, and she was healed. And then she told me that she was diagnosed with AIDS. She had an oxygen tank in the back that she had left back there when she came up to the altar. So the morning I was leaving, I was only there for two days because we had empowerment meeting that next uh, day after that. And so as I was leaving that morning, there was a woman that came up, and she said, I remember what you said about the blood. You know, she got this little Caribbean thing going. She said, I was sitting there and I just, when you said the blood of Jesus, it went off through me. And she said, I noticed on the way home my finger is swollen. I looked at finger. I said, I plead the blood of Jesus over you. And she said, by the time she got home, her finger was normal again. Totally healed. Amen. You don't have to be deep. You don't have to be all of that. You just have to believe, folks. Amen. Why don't you stand to your feet? We'll pray for you. If you want to be prayed for, come on up. Remember, there's evidence of your healing. And there's evidence where it needs to be. And that's in the courtroom of heaven. Jesus is in charge of that. So if you want to come on up and we'll pray for you. If you want me to lay hands on you so you can pray for the sick i'll do that i'm always willing to do that at every meeting i don't know if we tell you all the time but but we'll do that as well so come on up and we'll pray for you whatever symptoms are presenting themselves we'll plead the blood over that allow the blood of jesus to remove all of this because it's effective to do these things
together, children. Come on.